We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 137, and this opinion is brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and today I'd like to welcome back to the show a Kool-Aid with the stuff in his brain to back up the stuff with his fingers. It's Alex Tuika. How you doing, Alex? Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me, man. Well, it's been a, a hot minute since you've been on the show, and uh, for those who've been tuning in for the last few weeks, we've had so many terrific questions from our closed Facebook group, tbpod.link backslash group, where we've basically been able to just create a mailbag listener question show, or La Ronda. You know, as we near the end of this season here, and Barca are still in the fight, Alex, for the treble, it seems like there is some buzz around Barcelona. It seems like we are getting really good engagement. Not only do I want to thank you, the listeners, but particularly those in our closed Facebook group, uh, to get into that group, just answer the three questions, and all you have to do is answer those questions. If you don't answer them, I don't let you in the group. You can't ask these questions. So again, thanks to those who did ask these questions. And Alex, if that all made sense to you, I think we can just start here with LaRonda. Yeah, let's go. So our first question here is from Rick. Uh, if Barca Femini beat Bayern Munich and go to the final, will it be their first Champions League final? And what did it say about Barcelona as a club if both the first team for the men and the women can make it to the final? And I first want to start here with some context. For those who have, may not have been paying attention to this last week, Barca Femini went on the road at Bayern Munich, scored one goal and take the 1-0 advantage with the away goal as they come back to Barcelona on Sunday. Now, the context again behind this is while Barcelona, the first team for the men, are going for the treble, the Barca Femini will likely finish second behind Atletico Madrid in the league, the same team that locked, knocked them out of the Copa de la Arena. Uh, then in the other bracket, though, of the Champions League, uh, as this is the only competition that Barca Femini, uh, in theory, again, in theory, Atletico Madrid could slip up and Barca could win the, uh, the league title, but... That, that's very unlikely to happen in this instance with the fixtures left. But meanwhile, in the Champions League, they against Bayern Munich, as I mentioned, are the one semifinal. They have the 1-0 advantage with the away goal. But in the other bracket, Lyon, who's the one team, uh, the, the landmark team in, in women's football, they're again the favorite to make the final with a 2-1 lead against Chelsea, heading to France. So they're going to be at home then with a 2-1 lead. And if Barcelona were to make the final, though, this being the Femini, they would be a heavy underdog if the opposition is indeed Lyon. They're a five-time champion, winning the last three and all five in this decade. They're led by Captain Wendy Renard at the back and Women's Ballon d'Or winner, uh, Norwegian forward Ada Hedgerberg. 
And in the midfield is Japan captain Saki Komaji and Germany's Senzafer Marazan. At the center of the attention for Barcelona this year, though, and why I make the argument that the Barca Femini deserve even a little more attention uh, for us this year is that while bigger names like Tony Dugan and Lecky Martins have come in, and obviously with Lecky Martins, uh, you know, starring at, at, for the Netherlands at an international uh, competition and uh, winning the Best Player Award uh, now, what was two years ago, the pickup of Kerry Hamraoui from Lyon this past year, though, she was not only the goal scorer against Bayern, but she's been playing the midfield as basically a defensive midfielder and filling a need. And that says a lot about the Femini Sporting Project, that just in the last few years here, they're going after Dugan, they're going after Martins, they're going after Hamraoui. Uh, just like Lyon, they are trying to bring in the best of the best uh, in women's football. And that shows intention. And while the team, if anything, with the roster they have, might not be succeeding or reaching the levels that they'd even expect to, I think it does show some forward thinking. Um, and for Barcelona and the men's team, Alex, and this is where I'll hand it off to you, is that you know even just two, three years ago, we were worried about the sporting project that was going on. We were worried about the post-Xavi, post-Iniesta days. And you look at the squad that the team currently has, and it seems like on both sides, both for the Femini and for the first team, that they have positive sporting projects going on at the moment, and both are trending in a positive direction with or without the finals. Yeah, definitely. Uh, first of all, the, what uh, Barca Femini are doing is a great thing for women's football, which is awesome. It's good for the public reception, you know. It's good for the for the sport as a whole, for the women. Um, so this is a great thing, and obviously uh, the, the men men's football Barca's uh, men's football team is is on on the upside as well. They, they look. They're looking good again. The, the squad, the whole direction the club is going is really positive at the moment, yeah. And one of the really positive things for me, I think, is that the accessibility of it where, you know, you and I both said that we will watch that match on YouTube. And for me, when it comes to the Femini, at least, it's I want to watch as much Barca as I possibly can. So when they put the uh, the La Masia games on YouTube, when they put the Femini on YouTube, I will tune in, and I think a lot of other people will. So if you make these games accessible, people will watch. And Alex, speaking about accessibility, Zach asks, the English media seems to be crucifying Barcelona for the lack of accessibility for raising UCL ticket prices. Are Barcelona, are Barcelona wrong to do this if this is what's happening? Well, first of all, it's not, unfortunately, it's not a new thing. Like Barca are charging quite the, the expensive prices for quite a while now, and they are not the only ones doing it. Um, it's pretty common in Spain to charge a huge amount um, for traveling fans if they want to see a big team. For example, if Barca plays in Sevilla or in Valencia, Valencia charged the cheapest ticket was a hundred euros, even for the home fans. Mm -hmm. So as soon as Barca plays away to what whatever team the the home team is charging ridiculous amounts of money as well so unfortunately this is quite normal in spain although it's very very excessive i agree yeah i mean i think the consternation of all this comes from barcelona raising tickets on uh manchester united fans so obviously if you wrong a major global brand club like that you're going to hear about it and they were charging away fans 102 euros which man you used extra revenue from the first leg actually to subsidize the price and lower the ticket to 75 euros and as you mentioned Valencia and Sevilla were accused of a similar thing this year in the group stage by Manchester United and then Sevilla last year in the Europa League. And with similar things though happening with Anderlecht and Porto, 
uh, in recent years as Bayern Munich and Liverpool have come to town. There is a lot going on here where uh, usually, and now Barcelona would in no means be calling themselves a smaller club, but usually in the Champions League and Europe, it is those smaller clubs not in their own countries, but by the world football regard when it comes to Anderlecht and Porto, some of the best in Belgium and uh, Portugal respectively. But those are the clubs that tend to raise the prices and, and, and price gouge the, the giants of the world. Because again, if they want, if, if the most richer, the, the wealthiest of the fan bases from those big, big major clubs want to come on the road, the, the idea is that they're going to be able to pay those ticket prices. So it really is just the, the average fan trying to go away and get one of those very, very few tickets in, in, in those road stadiums. Now, the question I want to ask you, though, to follow up on this, Alex, and this is just me to give context to the listeners, is that the way that the ownership of clubs works in, I want to contrast Spain and Germany for a second here, where Spain is, as we said, with Barcelona, Valencia, Sevilla, they're the ones getting accused more so than uh, many other clubs for price gouging, not just in Europe, but even uh, the price and tickets of, uh, of matches in Spain. But now Germany, their clubs are owned a little bit differently uh, by and large uh, as far as ownership groups, and the Bundesliga is praised for how low their ticket prices are for even Friday night or weekend games. Yeah, that's true, but it's it's a traditional thing in Germany. The there are special prices where you cannot sit; you can only stand mm-hmm. uh, places. Sorry, places in the stadium, and these ticket prices are always the lowest, obviously, because you have to stand. And it's a tradition to offer these um, uh, places in the stadium to your most loyal fans. If to your die-hard fans, even to to season ticket holders, and usually um, the price range is from like twelve to twenty euros or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's it really, really incredibly cheap. But it's a it's a very traditional thing. And as soon as a club tries to up these prices to make them higher, there are protests and and everything. So yeah, Germany is a special place when it comes to ticket prices. I fully agree. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the point there, right? That that they don't allow for price gouging and and this and, and a great change with all this, where um, even for other tickets, you can go for less than fifty euros. When it comes yeah. to Barcelona, you're not going to find a ticket if you know that's not uh, that's you know accessible to the general public. You're not going to you're not going to find a ticket whether you're uh, a Barcelona fan or an away fan. You're not going to find one for. For less than 75 or well euros. this is also a, a thing uh, uh, of supply and demand right i mean yeah. barcelona is one of the let's say three biggest clubs most famous clubs more most um, exciting clubs in the world so of course then they are in a in a metropolitan city a touristic city right so yep. they have a lot of tourists they had a lot of fans they are very attractive so of course they can uh, demand higher prices than the average Bundesliga club. Let's yep. be honest. So this also play, plays a part. But yeah, many things are into coming into consideration here. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, the, the, so... be- the best analogy I try to use is that I mean, I, I live in New York, as I've, I've kind of mentioned before, and you know, the New York Knicks are not necessarily a terrific basketball. As you and I both watch basketball, Alex, it's not really a terrific basketball franchise in terms of wins and losses, and yet it is still <laughs> it is still top three. Uh, on average, and sometimes top one even, being the worst team uh, record-wise or percentage-wise of wins-losses over the last 
you know, two decades, and yet their ticket prices are some of the highest. And it's, yes, because it's New York, but also the allure of tourism and MSG is a big part of it as well. So I think you really hit the nail on the head there that are Barcelona wrong to have these tickets so high? Sure. But in the same respect, there's a lot of reasoning that goes behind it. And yes, tourism and just people coming into the city with a little bit of money to spend um, have slowly risen those ticket prices over time. Uh, and it would, again, it financially doesn't make much sense for the club to try to keep them low because in the same respect, they would sell out. You'd never get one. So, I mean, that that would be the, the other kind of argument to that. If it didn't cost so much, then, you, then if you're trying to plan weeks in ahead, you might not even get one at that time. Uh, so that's what they're, they're dealing with. And, uh, yeah, it comes with everything to it, including the Camp No. Now let's switch over to a question from Enrique. Been some talk this week about Benzema being the best number nine, that being Kareem Benzema of Real Madrid, if you didn't know, and having a better season than Luis Suarez. Without bias, why are these claims being made? And Alex, the quick answer to this one, and I'll give you the stats and kind of let you answer the question. Suarez has 24 goals, 21 in the Liga, 9 assists, 3 in the Champions League. Obviously, 0 goals in the Champions League, as, as we've talked about before. Benzema, meanwhile, 30 goals in all competitions, which uh, have constituted, because they won the Champions League last year, more competitions for Real Madrid. But 21, tying with Luis Suarez in the Liga, and 7 assists. Now, those are just numbers, Alex, and the eye test tells us that Luis Suarez still uh, has a little bit more, but Benzema has to do more for Real Madrid, and I think that's where the crux of this argument comes from. Well, just um, talking stats-wise, the, the key stat is in the league, both have the same amount of goals, 21. So you can say they are on the same level, at least goals-wise, stats-wise. Um, thing behind the goals is, the, is their role. Like Suarez is, is the key attacker, in Barcelona and Karim Benzema is even more the key attacker for Real Madrid now, now that Cristiano Ronaldo left. So what happened actually is Ronaldo leaving Madrid liberated Benzema, meaning he has a bigger role now, he has more responsibility, he is in fact their go-to guy in attack, which means he now scores more, he has more freedom to do so, he has even a bigger burden. But clearly, he's going on pretty well. So he, he upped his level. So credit to, to Benzema. I think they are both having a really good season, really really doing good. The numbers show it as well. So there's that. I don't think there's that much in between them. So um, I, the question was from Enrique, right? Um, if Benzema is having a better season, I would say, why would, why would you say that better season? I would say both have... Uh, are having a very good season, and that's that. Credit to both of them. Yeah, and when it comes to role, I mean, Benzema's supposed to be the number one option now, or he's had to take over that mantle, and it hasn't been Gareth Bale in a disastrous season for Real Madrid. And by disastrous, I mean they still finished top four, but again, by their standards, not winning any trophies, not really contending uh, and anywhere near any of the final trophies, then again, not the season they wanted, but in the same respect, because Benzema's the first option, you compare him with Barcelona's first option, and that's Lionel Messi. And that's the whole point, that Suarez is the Robin to Messi's Batman, and yeah. Benzema has to be the Batman, because Gareth Bale, you know, he didn't even want to be the Scarecrow, you know, and that, and unfortunately, again, I don't want to heap on Gareth Bale, but that's just how it's been uh, with his production. Uh but I, I think let's worry about Barcelona some more with Eric's question. How will Carlos Alenia 
who was the man of the match recently uh, against Alaves. This is me adding this in. And if you want to check out where I talked about his man of the match, that's on our Patreon page. You can head over there. Uh, as well as Ricky Pouge getting playing time next season, especially with Vidal returning. And that's where this this becomes news this week, that Arturo Vidal, uh, nothing is set in stone, but is his contract is for uh, at least another year, could be for uh, an additional third year. And so we could see more of Arturo Vidal in that midfield that we'll talk about later as being, you know, expected to be overhauled, but it might not seem to be overhauled that much. So how will Elena and Puj get playing time? Well, this is a good question, actually, because it's tricky to see how that will pan out. I can, I can, I could foresee or I could see that it will happen that uh, one of them will leave on loan, which would be a sensible option, in my opinion, but I think it it's difficult to give them both playing time, given that the midfield, the central midfield of Barcelona is so stacked. I mean, let's not forget, Frankie de Jong is coming, Arthur is there and still growing, right? He's, he still needs loads of playing time. He's very young. young. Rakitic is there, probably will not be sold as things stand right now. Uh, Vidal will probably be there. They seem to be happy with him, Barcelona. Um, we have Coutinho. We don't know which his best place is yet. So the midfield is stacked. And yeah, Alenia looks very promising now. He played really well against uh, Alaves in the midweek game. So, and, and Puig, 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 I think Puig you pronounce him, right? Ricky Puig. Puig yeah. Yep, Catalan, yep. My Catalan is not the best, but I think it's Ricky Pooch. <laughs> yep. Let's call him Ricky. <laughs> um, I think he will have it very difficult to break into this side because for of of many reasons, but the biggest one is he lacks the right now the experience and playing time on the biggest level. And he requires a lot of playing time on this level to grow. And I'm not sure he can get that in Barca stacked midfield. So right now I think the most probable option, maybe most sensible option even, is to um, send Ricky on loan somewhere, maybe. I mean, the only issue I find with these two in particular out on loan, now I agree that there I, there won't be enough space in the next for, for the next season, but in the same respect, my fear is that the way Alanya, and I'm not comparing this to Sam Per. Sam Per's loans came, uh, they, they failed more because of injury than it was him or playing style or anything like that, but he was just perpetually injured in bad situations with relegation clubs. But for Elena and Puj, because that indoctrination of Barcelona style, you can see it. When we watch Elena, you say, he was raised in La Masia. That's what, that's yeah. what I'm seeing now. And the same thing yeah. with Puj, where I know people are saying he's slight of frame, but he's going to be 20 years old next season. And while that is still relatively young in football terms, we saw against, uh, we saw Manchester uh, City, rather, the other day, Phil Foden, who is two years younger than Puj, is coming on and starring for Pep Guardiola in what's supposed to be a much more physical uh, kind of game against more much more physical opponents. So I, for me, I think of what I've seen of Puj, and yes, he's still playing in the third division, but I think with the proper playing time at Barcelona, they would be good enough to be getting consistent playing time and getting minutes. But the crux of this argument comes that they do not have the minutes for them. And so what do you do? Do you put them on a loan with the, with the potential that you're going to send them somewhere that is not... Um, where they're not going to be able to show the full pantheon of what they can do in terms of their skill sets and what fits so perfectly at Barcelona. So I think the real difficulty here doesn't even come with finding them playing time. I don't think that's going to happen. It's with if you do find a loan for one or both of them, 
where, and I don't think Alenia will be gone. If he was able to carve out some minutes this year, I think it'll be the same thing, even with the young coming. Uh, but for Puj, where do you send him? That's going to fit. And I think the relationship with Ajax that uh, is apparently in the works, I think that's something you have to earmark and say we need to revisit that because that's one of the few clubs we've seen in world football this year that even fit what they do. I mean, even a Real Batiste, who, you know, everyone's, you know, glamoring over how uh, Kike Setien is playing, but yet I still don't see in that system, in that 4 3 3, and a lot of times Setien will even play five at the back. And in that, 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 5-3-2 situation, I'm not sure where Puj exactly would perfectly fit in unless it was as, you know, this attacking midfielder, which isn't really what he is. Um, so I, I think that becomes part of the problem with these two. Uh, but again, we're unfortunate. It's not our problem. But um, the the easier question here I'll follow up with, Alex, for you is, Luke asks, what are the chances that next year's starting midfield could be Arter, Alenia, and DeYoung? I mean, of what we've just spoken about, my idea for this is it's less than 5%, because that means that both Rakitic and Busquets would have to be jettisoned from that starting lineup, and I don't see both of them wind up uh, losing their spot to a new arrival and DeYoung, even, even as good as he is, to, D, to a new arrival and Alenia. Yeah, the the midfield is is tricky for Valverde uh, next next season definitely because Frankie needs a big role obviously. Um, Alenia will need a bigger role because his his role is not big at the moment, but he needs definitely a bigger one. Um, I mean, he's twenty one as well already, so he's he's not exactly a greenhorn anymore that much as right. others so it will be difficult to see them all fitting in there yeah, i definitely agree unless you have you have injuries which we don't hope to have but you never know right but yeah i mean vidal is doing good and clearly valverde valverde uh, likes his his style likes his approach likes him as a player so plays him a lot and you, we know that vidal is not happy if he sits up on the bench all the time so you have playing time for valverde uh, for pardon pardon me um vidal there so yeah uh, it will be tricky definitely the midfield is interesting the midfield situation at barcelona well speaking about that midfield situation uh let's get a question from douglas will valverde start vidal over arthur in the liverpool matches i think we can go with a yes or no question on this one i think in the away game, I I would say yes. I can totally imagine that happening, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he has gone in this past with Arter in the starting lineup uh, in these situations. So the idea would be that if he's looking for a positive result, and of course, again, we'll remind listeners that it's Barcelona at home first. So I think Arter certainly gets to start at the Camp No. Now, if they're defending a lead at Anfield uh, on Tuesday the 7th, then they go with Vidal potentially, but I think if they're going for a result in any way, I think it winds up being Arter. Now, the other option, as Juan brings up, should Barcelona consider playing a 4-4-2 formation against Liverpool with Busquets, Rakitic, Vidal, and Roberto in the midfield? And I think I'm going to stick with the answer here that I think that's what you could see at, at Anfield, but I don't think you see that at the Camp No. No, I don't think we will see that at the camp. No, and at Anfield, I think it it depends highly on the on the result in the first leg. Like if they have to to defend the lead, a good one even, let's say a two goal lead, for example, then maybe Valverde goes back to being himself, which is more cautious, right? Mm-hmm. But I hope they won't do that because, I mean, last season it was 
a necessity because of Dembele's injury, right? Because we didn't have enough wingers. But right now, there's no real reason to to play for two. I mean, you can you can argue that if Coutinho plays, even if it's on paper a front three, it's actually more like a front two of Messi and Suarez because Coutinho plays more like an attacking midfielder. So you could make a case for the front three of Coutinho, Suarez, and Messi actually being a four-four-two, right? Mm-hmm. So that could maybe happen that he starts Coutinho ahead of Dembele. And on paper, it's a four-four-three, but it's actually more like a four-four-two. Wish that that could happen, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could, yeah, I could see that happening for sure. And now, before we talk Coutinho, uh, I want to get a question. And he's been asking for the first, the last few weeks, rather. Uh, and Ellie, I have seen your question, but we've had some time being limited today. We have some time to ask: Are we the most boring team between the four semifinalists left? And again, for listeners, this is Tottenham and Ajax in the one semifinal, and Liverpool and Barcelona in the other. And I guess this question is negative because boring has a negative connotation. And I know you talk about that in a second, Alex. But uh, for me, I think we'll start with some positivity before we answer it, that Ajax are playing terrific football. It's great to watch. Tottenham uh, under Pochettino, generally an exciting team. And while they don't have Harry Kane, uh, uh, Sung Young Ming has been really, really awesome uh, as, as well, uh, evolving his game and and. Um, just being a, a jack-of-all-trades offensively for them, as well as Liverpool obviously playing with their dreaded front line uh, with Mane, Salah, and Firmino. And so I, I think it being even if we agreed that Barcelona were the most boring of the four semifinalists, that's not really a bad thing because the other three teams are playing uh, a terrific level. Well, let me start off like, uh, this way. I really enjoy watching Ajax. I really, really enjoy watching them. I saw, I think... Pretty much every knockout game of them in the Champions League, and both games against Bayern in the in the group stage, and they are playing fantastic football. Like really, for a neutral, even even if you don't root for them, you just watch the game as a neutral. I think they are playing brilliantly. I really like Ajax. But to answer the question, I mean, it's difficult for me to tell Ellie what he has can see as boring or not. I mean, it's a very subjective uh, point of view. It's a very subjective approach, right? Maybe I find something interesting that he finds boring. So I would not say that, in my opinion. I would not say that Barca is, for example, more boring than Spurs, because I watch a lot of Spurs games, and I think Barca is the more interesting team, the more fun team, even if... Valverde's Barca tends to be more like, you know, not as exciting as Pep's Barca, clearly, but I would not call them the most boring side. No, I would not. Well, I think, yeah, the other thing I want to add to that is that uh, there is that messy factor where there's a reason why I tell everybody I know that whether or not you like Barca, you should watch Barca. I think that's right. That's what I always tell people that we're let. For people who go on, you know, I see other soccer fans, whether they're or football fans, whether they're Chelsea fans or or Man United fans or whoever it may be, they'll see on Facebook or Twitter, they'll just be scrolling through and they'll see the messy highlight from that weekend, the thing that he did in La Liga. And I go, actually, I watch him every week. You should see what Messi does. He does that three or four times every game, every week, where you go, wow. And I think as far as boring, um, yeah, unfortunately, I, I think I know what Ellie's trying to get to, and he's trying to get to the team concept. But between Dembele and Messi, Barcelona have the potential and the opportunity for having you go, holy moly, like once or twice 
every game because of just when those two are on the field and not just even together but individually they have the ability to wow you I think in ways that no player on Tottenham and arguably no player on even Ajax or Liverpool could boast where um, even the things that that front three of Liverpool does at this point with all their pressing in that uh, it is a very calculated uh, systematic approach and very very few times it really has only really been Salah and occasionally uh, Mane have have you know made you go stand up and say wow and particularly for Salah not this year it was more last year where he'd have those wonder goals um, but as I said Barcelona have Messi so I don't know how you could still say that they're the most boring team because of the things that he individually is capable of uh, so Ellie I think we tried to answer your question as best we could I think we went even deeper than I thought we would yeah. uh, so I, I think we'll we'll wrap this one up with a few conversation points about Coutinho uh, first question uh, we'll set the base here Alex from Anantha Swami should we sell Coutinho regardless of the rest of his season oh, let me go all business on you that depends on the price please do <laughs> Yeah, no. Let that's the that's the answer. Let that depends on the price. If the price is good, I would consider it. But it depends on the on the offers. If there's no offers, you don't want to ship him out for like one third of the money you paid for him. Mm -hmm. So the offer has to be a good one. And then, looking at my squad, looking at his performances over now two seasons, um, or almost two seasons, then we can consider it and have to to evaluate it but it really depends on the offer um what's your when you say offer so you said a third is not good enough would you take half if would you take 80 million euro well from what i've read from from journalists close to barca from journalists with with good sources inside the club i've heard that barca want um at least 100 million back because mm -hmm. the overall fee i think is with bonuses and everything is i think 160 is what they paid yep that's correct so even only getting 100 back would be still a big loss right mm -hmm. so i think i think that's what they want at least i think they want 100 million and that's that's more or less the, the ballpark figure here we are talking about here yeah, and I don't think the problem is going to be even should. It's going to be can. Can Barcelona sell Coutinho? Because at $100 million, if that's what they're asking for, you're talking five clubs, six clubs in the world that can front a bill of €100 million Euro for Coutinho. Yeah. He hasn't been a €100 million Euro player this year. And so, exactly. I mean, that's I, yeah, I'm not even sure. And the, and the other point of that is that the clubs that can afford €100 million for Coutinho are the ones that are in direct competition with Barcelona in things like the Champions League. So you're, in, in a sense, you'd be selling directly to Champions League uh, opposition or, or, or the teams, the best of the best, who you are you know, most likely going to face off if you continue on if a similar path. And if he goes to that club and succeeds, they wind up being a Champions League favorite. Well, again, then you have a really good chance of matching up uh, in the knockout rounds in future seasons. Uh, yeah. and, and so that's that's part of it, too, that you're, you're guaranteeing him to go somewhere that you're going to have to face him. Uh, not, I mean, not not likely if it's if it's someplace else. But again, there's only five or six clubs that you have the, the choice for. And then what are their needs? And I think that's the other point here we ask about need. And that if we see Coutinho as a winger, that's where part of my, you know, this is now money, you know, not not the business side of it. But from as far as a depth and the, the, the power of a squad uh, being the circumstances, there is a lack of wing depth where when it comes to 
if Dembele is the starter next season and stays healthy, then you're still let next season. I think, you know, we're not talking about the number nine and Luis Suarez and replacing him this show. That We'll save that for, don't worry, we'll talk about that a lot. But as far as next season, you're looking at a front three of Suarez, Messi, and Dembele. And then, of course, the midfield, you don't need anybody there. We're, you know, totally set. Dion coming in, even with the same midfielders this year, there's been enough depth uh, with Rafinha not even healthy and uh, certain guys not even factoring in. There's been enough depth here at the end of the season. But if Coutinho on the wing, you know, right now all you have is, yes, Messi, but you have Dembele, Coutinho, and in theory, Malcolm. And our last question from Ted, if Barcelona sell Coutinho, will Malcolm stay and will Valverde play him? Well, the news from today was that Malcolm and his agent have apparently told the club like that he, I mean, that he wants out and that Valverde uh, doesn't count on him. And it's well, it's been well told that even if it's not a personal thing, Valverde didn't necessarily want this player. And this was the one player this last summer that the board went ahead and got without Valverde signing off on it. That's kind of become public knowledge. So if Malcolm is leaving, now you're talking just Coutinho and, Dem- and Dembele. And so the wrinkle I want to add to it is that Alenya, if he wants playing time, now for Barca B and in the past, he's played up on the wing as this, you know, basically in a 4-4-2 and this, as attacking midfielder in a, uh, as a winger, if you will. And that might be an option for Barcelona to add depth there. But in the same respect, I'm not sure if Coutinho is going to have a, uh, if we're going to be able to get rid of Coutinho, because I don't know if we're going to have the wing depth to replace him. Well, they are definitely connected the two the two um, players because if they, it's clearly that they need to to earn some money in in the in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's being widely reported, so they need some income. Obviously, Malcolm doesn't play. A lot obviously he's very unhappy obviously Valverde doesn't like him that much otherwise he would play play more often so I think if they can which uh, also by the way uh, ESPN reported that if Barca can get back the, the close to the 40 million they paid for him they would probably sell him and which is more important even I think he want will want to go because he's unhappy this is the big difference to the Coutinho case by the way which I wanted to to add I don't think Coutinho wants to leave Barcelona. Mm-hmm. So this is we should not forget that it's not the NBA. We cannot trade players away if we are unhappy with them, right? The player has to um, to agree to join another club, and I don't see Coutinho wanting to leave Barca. Also, a point you mentioned, which is a very good one. I don't see many clubs that are able to pay the amount of money which probably will will make Barca happy like say the the hundred million we mentioned as you said there are not many clubs who can even pay that if we look at the handful of clubs we which might be able to pay it for example Man City they don't need to continue they have De Bruyne as a uh, attacking midfielder they have Leroy Sané on the left wing they have Sterling on the left or right wing they don't need continue look at PSG they have Neymar they don't need Coutinho either. So even if they would be able to pay it, they just don't need the players. So I cannot see Coutinho leaving the club I, because I just don't see don't see a club he can end up at because I don't think he wants to leave. And to get back to the Malcolm issue, because I think Malcolm will end up the one the uh, one guy mm-hmm. leaving, so they earn some money there, and that's it. Yeah, and the priorities of the club, uh, if they're if they're so inclined of getting delict, you still have the problems of uh, a potential future number nine, of uh, you know 
people have always said the, a backup left back. Uh, now, you know, whether it's yeah. Kukure or whoever, I find that to be less of a problem. Um, even seeing the way that Semedo and Roberto have both filled in as well at left back as backup. So to me, I'm, I'm a little less worried about that position. But again, that future of the number nine position is certainly the one staring Barcelona right in the face here moving forward. And you might even have to, if Jasper Silson moves on this summer, to uh, another a, be- a good opportunity or a, an opportunity he deserves, as we've mentioned about too. He'd be the one guy in the club that I'd say not uh, certainly I'm just I would be really happy for him to see him move on because I think he deserves a starting spot at a major club in the world. He's been terrific as Silson, and you might need to fill in a backup goalkeeper if uh, they don't find that uh, Inaki Pena, who is still a teenager, is is worthy of being a backup and playing. And I guess he wouldn't play in any competitions, but if Ter Stegen got injured, um, God forbid, next season, and you're you're rolling with just a teenager as your goalkeeper for a, uh, an extended amount of time, well. You know, then that's again, that's something that Barcelona have to be thinking about contingency plans. And when you're one of the top clubs in the world, as you know, as, as Frances always said, as now I've been saying on the on the podcast recently, that Barcelona play with they have, if you count Silson even, they've got 15 starting caliber players. And we're not counting Alenia or Malcolm. Uh, we're, we're saying that they have basically 15 players that if you plug them in or replace them with the guy at their position, that Barcelona loses almost nothing from their starting lineup. Just that's how deep they are this season. And you compare that to last season, then, I mean, they are three or four solid starters deeper than they were a season ago. And that has gone uh, a long way in, in helping them survive in every competition. Yeah, you, you mentioned something interesting because I think last time I was a guest on your show, we also discussed Silicon, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. You're correct, yeah. And I think we, we agreed that he's... The probably the most awesome number two you can you can imagine. I mean, the club is so happy with him, but mm-hmm. I think he is not exactly that happy because he only plays in the Copa del Rey. But he's so, also but there's less consternation between him and Ter Stegen than there is. Where look at Coutinho and Keller Navas. That is a problem and a drama that we yeah don't because deal they with. are both clear uh, number right. number ones yeah. and both are signed as a number one or have the standing to be the number one. True. So that was an unnecessary signing there. But Silison was signed to be the number two. He knew what he was signing for. Just yeah. now, after I think two seasons, right? Right. Um, he he grew a bit tired of it, obviously. So yeah, I think they they will sell him in summer. I I can mm-hmm. see that happening. That he says he grew tired of them. That he wants to 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 play. I think he even expressed that in an interview that he wants to have a starting role somewhere. And I think he's doing that great that clubs um, that he's in the focus of some clubs. I can see a club like say for example Roma, like the magnitude of of a club like Roma mm-hmm. or something like that. That some some club like that will will end up signing him, which maybe is not the best the. the Worst thing for Barca either because I can I think they can gener- generate some some good money for him say twenty to thirty million or something like that which mm-hmm. will help them right so yeah yeah I mean I think every euro will count uh, in the summer but then again that is the drama of the summer but we have a lot of exciting matches still left to go as Barcelona are chasing this treble and Alex I want to thank you for coming on to these shows as again we near the end of the season they become more and more important and we're getting more and more listeners it's really an exciting time to be a Barcelona fan uh, to be a part of this show and again I thank all my guests particularly you Alex this week for coming on so I want to ask as I always do where can people find you a little bit more well right now I'm uh, writing for a German um, website called Barca Welt. 
it's German, Barca Welt, it's Barca Welt, if I pronounce it in <laughs> yep, English. Yep, yep. That'll be in the show notes uh, as well. But for all the English um, listeners or American listeners, um, just hit me up on Twitter. Uh, it's the same as my name, Alex Trujka. Um, and yeah, you can, because I tweet in, in English all the time. So mm -hmm. yeah, just follow me there and you you get more news and opinions of mine if you are interested in that kind of thing. Sure thing. And uh, yeah, for those who are willing to use Google Translate, we're going to have uh, the link to that in the show notes <laughs> yeah. as well. So thanks for tuning in. Again, you can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe to the show. You can find us on social media too. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at HiltonD13 for me and on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod, our closed Facebook group where we got all of our listener questions from another one of our La Ronda mailbag shows is tbpod.link backslash group for deeper dives and discussions as well. You can help us out on Patreon to continue making these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. We're also on YouTube now at the Barcelona Podcast. So check us out, hit that subscription button, and thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Barcelona. Barcelona. Cheerio. Cheerio.